Welcome home. This is Audio XB for the 21st of December 2019, and the title of this episode is The Year's Most Popular RPGs and Character Sheets. It's been a busy week at Geek Native. Audio EXP is the blog's highlight show, and so I'm going to do the usual thing of headlining some of the interesting and popular articles, talking a bit about each one. This week, and next week, the blog has been publishing lists of some of the best-selling RPGs of the year. I get to do this because DriveThruRPG kindly shares some data. Now, I'm doing it genre by genre, and there are more genres than there are days of the week, and so I haven't yet finished. But by the end of this podcast, you will know the most popular fantasy, sci-fi, horror, anime, and family-friendly RPGs published this year. Now, let's start by talking about character sheets. I gave a little boost to a smart idea I spotted on Reddit. A pair of gamers using the pseudonyms Alexi123 and Inuasha had made some changes to the standard D&D character sheet so that it was easier to read if you suffered from dyslexia. The pair had very kindly shared a Google Drive link to where other people could download the sheet. You know, it was a project they had done for their own gaming group, as several of their players are dyslexic. But there was absolutely no harm, and potentially some good in sharing the project. So Geek Native gave that share a little boost. And that social media loved it, especially Twitter, which, by and large, was full of people who found the sheet useful and were pleased to see such a smart and thoughtful idea coming from the community. It's been a popular post, racking up some of the most retweets and page views the site has seen this year. It joins discoveries like the hex table that IKEA was selling that people just seem to like finding and sharing with their friends. Gamers just didn't like the fact that the pair had bothered to make an effort. I noticed that many people appreciated the visual element of the character sheet with icons and not just words. Alexa, in particular, has spent hours and hours answering questions on Twitter. The pair have now republished the character sheets, adding more options, making changes when some people rather forthrightly shared their opinions and tweak ideas. These are good people. And here's another good people story. The name of the wind author, Patrick Rothfuss, has raised more than half a million for charity with his world builder's effort. The money came from geeks who donated or bought geeky stuff in a charity auction. He also revealed plans to take part in a regular Termerant actual play podcast. Termerant is the name of the world that the name of the wind is set in. Now his series is unfinished. His books are full of clues, and so I imagine many people will be wondering whether or not we'll get answers to some of those clues from the podcast. I don't know. I doubt Rufus will spoil his own books. I do think, though, that we'll get a better understanding of the world, and maybe that might help us solve some of the puzzles, uh, or solve them more quickly, at least. I do think many fans of the King Killer Chronicles will be tuning in. Then we have news of people tuning out. Wizards of the Coast have rather abruptly announced that you have until the end of the year to rescue your characters from the Dungeons & Dragons Insider program. They'll be lost forever after that. The Dungeons & Dragons Insider, known as DDI, is software that lets you manage your 4th edition characters, monsters, and at some point it also brought you extra content. 
and that was a subscription fees business, charging money every month. However, the latest version of that app used a programming language called Silverlight. This was a system invented by Microsoft for applications that interacted with the web. However, Microsoft has given up on Silverlight, and so it's no longer supported. And as a result, Wizards of the Coast can either spend money on recreating a program in a modern language, or just let it go. I know some people will want Wizards of the Coast to do the former, to relaunch DDI for today's web. I mean, I totally get why. If you use the tool, then you'll be disappointed that it's been taken away from you. However, keep in mind that Wizards of the Coast don't even have software to support D&D 5th edition. They've outsourced that to Fandom, the company who runs D&D Beyond. So there's no business case for Wizards of the Coast to write software for D&D 4E when they don't even do it for D&D 5E. That would be a weird strategy. Now you can say that we discussed some weird strategies for the launch of Book of Season Solstices. Now this is an anthology of D&D adventures now on the DM's Guild. If you know of the Uncaged anthology, then it's a similar sort of thing. A set of adventures all on a theme. In fact, many of the Uncaged authors also contributed to the Book of Seasons. Oh, and those weird strategies? Well, we asked whether or not you always had to kill the monster. The writing team came back with 15 alternative suggestions, ranging from befriending the lonely monster to dating the monster. I reviewed a game this week where you could argue we've become the monster. It's a sci-fi game called Gene Funk 2090, and the title I gave my review was Biohacking D&D. Yep, this is another D&D 5e powered game. If you start with Cyberpunk, but then add a bit of biotechnology, then you'll get to Gene Funk 2090 quite quickly. It's not that far in the future, but humanity has been adapting itself for specialised work, and the result is race-like breeds of people. These gene strains are very good at doing the things they've been created to do. However, you could also play a mutt. That's the, the child of uh, cross-strain breeding. You could play a transhuman downloaded into an artificial body. You could play an optimised human. Or, if you wanted, you could just play an average human. It's not a fair world. The mega corporations have taken over and a tiny number of individuals have power over you. It's also a very well-written RPG that was delivered promptly after a cleanly run Kickstarter. It's full of great art and I recommend checking it out. It's not all about D&D though. Here are some other stories that might interest. The Lord of the Rings RPG, The One Ring, currently has two offers on the Bundle of Holding. If you're a regular listener, then you will know the significance of this. Cubicle 7 the Irish publisher who makes The One Ring has decided to give up after an unresolved conflict over the license. So these two bundles aren't just an excellent way to max out your One Ring collection, they might be your last way to do it. In just a few days, you'll be able to buy content from three RPG sourcebooks that have been unavailable for a very long time. We're talking about the official Watchmen RPG material here. Not just that, but Alan Moore approves content. Now, Alan Moore is famous for disliking how TV and cinema have treated his comic book work. I get why. However, there was a time when he, and illustrator Dave Gibbons, 
were keen for the worlds that they had created to grow and be better understood. Both actually worked on the Watchmen content for the DC Heroes RPG, and the result were these three Watchmen supplements. At the end of the month, and thanks to the new TV show, The Watchmen Companion is coming out. That book will have a whole host of content from these official RPG supplements made available again. I doubt we'll get the full RPG, but if you buy a copy and you discover, please let us know in the blog. Also in the news is A-State will return. Now, A-State, I guess, is a fairly obscure RPG, so it's okay if you don't know it, but the setting wowed those of us who had a copy all those years ago. The old publisher, Contested Ground Studios, is from Falkirk. That's a part of Scotland between Edinburgh and the Highlands, and so you can see why you might not have had A-State present in conventions across the United States. The new publisher, Handiwork Games, is also from Falkirk. However, Handiwork Games already works on projects for the likes of Onyx Path Publishing, and tabletop gamers now have much more sophisticated social media for sharing interesting discoveries. The new A-State might prove to be pretty popular. So why is the setting such a good one for an RPG? Well, it's set in a dystopian city, which you cannot leave. You'll die if you try. Why? Well, that's where the mystery starts, and so so does the risk of spoilers, I guess. So I'll just keep tabs on the development for you and update you when and if the news comes in. Before we get on to the best-performing games published this year, I do want to spend a little while talking about Mage Hand Press. This studio is the winner of the December RPG Publisher Spotlight at Geek Native. If you support the podcast and the blog by being a patron, then you get to vote in Spotlight Paw. The goal is to help shine light some extra publicity on companies that might need it. I mean, did you know that Mage Hand Press used to be known as the middle finger of Vecna? But as gamers started to really appreciate their products, the company decided to rebrand for legal reasons. I mean, Vecna is the leech god from the D&D campaign setting Greyhawk, and there are rumours that Vecna might be a Thanos-style figure in the D&D movie. Mage Hand Press have just taken D&D even farther into the future than Gene Funk 2090 has done. They brought a high fantasy world into space. You've got monsters the size of spaceships and combat rules to let your brave squad of dwarf fighter pilots take them on. Right. Let's now look at five different genre charts and the best-selling games for each. These charts look at games published this year and sold at Drive-Thru RPG. We will start with fantasy. Now, the core D&D books are not sold at Drive-Thru RPG, and nor is Pathfinder. Not the first edition, not the second edition. So let's call this chart the other best-selling fantasy releases of 2019. In first position, Shadowrun. That's the 6th edition of Shadowrun, which is a science fantasy game. It's fantasy because the publisher Catalyst Game Labs says so. I mean, they're also right. This is a science game with magic in it. In the second position, there is Changeling the Lost. This is an urban fantasy where characters are fey creatures. It's an Onyx Path publishing contribution to the world of darkness. And in third position... There is Invisible Sun by Monty Cook Games. This is a surreal fantasy, and it costs nearly $100 in digital form. Wow, that's expensive, but it's clearly sold very well. 
The full top 10 is on Geek Native, and you'll find the links in the show notes. This podcast tries to be brief, and so we're going to move on to the best-selling sci-fi RPGs, accessories and supplements that were published this year. Now, it's worth noting that Fantasy Flight Games does not sell their Star Wars RPG through drive-thru. In first position, we have the Jumpstart Kit for Cyberpunk Red. That's the official Cyberpunk sequel from R. Talsorian Games. If you're tempted by CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 computer game next year, then this is the official prequel. In the second position, Shadow of the Beanstalk from Fantasy Flight Games. That's a sci-fi setting for the Genesis RPG. And in third position, there's Shadowrun. That's the same science fantasy Shadowrun that topped the fantasy chart. Catalyst Game Labs have tagged it as both fantasy and sci-fi, and it's hard to say that they were wrong to do so. Yeah, so it seems that sci-fi has done better than fantasy when it comes to blockbuster new RPGs for drive through The next category we're going to look at is anime and cartoon. What are the top three best-selling games or accessories published this year? In first position, there's Carbon 2185. That's a 5e-powered cyberpunk game from Dragon Turtle Games. They've had a great year. In second place, there's Robotech Macross Saga from Battlefield Press. Oh, and in third place... There's Robotech, the Macross Saga from Strange Machine Games. Well done, Robotech. Your licensing strategy seems to have paid off. At a glance, those three games fall very much more in the anime half of the anime or cartoon genre. But elsewhere on that list, you will find two My Little Pony games from River Horse. If you specifically want family-appropriate games, then good news. Try Through RPG has a category for that. The top three games out this year, and which are family-friendly, are Hero Kids and their Hero Advancement Cards by Hero Forge Games, and then in second place, another Hero Kids supplement called Darkness Neath River Shorn. Uh, My Little Pony makes the top three in this category, with Tales of Equestria taking up that space. And lastly, for this podcast at least, we have the horror genre. This is not family-friendly. The top three games, accessories and supplements are... Eclipse Phase, the second edition from Posthuman Studios. Rangers of Shadow Deep, Temple of Madness by Joseph McClurick, and Occult Philosophy by Schwab Entertainment. Eclipse Phase is a highly regarded transhuman sci-fi, and I've seen it joked that the PCs can be scarier monsters in it than the monsters are. Temple of Madness is a supplement for McClurick's Rangers of Shadow Deep series, I know people will discuss whether it's a close fit for an RPG list, but I think Joseph must have worked hard each year to do so well. And if you like occult philosophy, then a game to look forward to next year is Bad Roll Games' Punk Apocalyptic, as they got Robert Schwab on board to write it. If Punk Apocalyptic counts as a horror, then it'll be more of a splatterpunk horror. Why? Mutant cannibals. Christmas time podcast should always end discussing mutant cannibals. And so, on that note, I'll see you next time.